Hey y'all, Greg Armstrong here, pastor of a new church, the host of the Gospel and Race podcast. I am calling for all pastors, church planters, and leaders who feel an intentional call towards multi-ethnic ministry. You know, I looked for a long time to try to find a tribe that could help me sort out the complexities of multi-ethnic church planting. Well, look, family, we've created this space for you to enter into a community of like-minded leaders who will sort and discern together how we lead faithfully in the multi-ethnic space. We call it the Multi-Ethnic Leaders Network. Real easy, I want you to go to multi-ethnicnetwork.com. I want you to get all the information you can regarding how we're going to move forward together and journey in all that God's called us to do as multi-ethnic leaders in his kingdom. I'll see y'all there. Yo, everybody, we are back. Listen, I took a little bit of break halfway through first season because life is life in, and I'm trying to finish this degree and I've been writing, writing, writing and all kind of stuff been going on. But we are back and I'm excited about the second half of season one of the Gospel and Race podcast. Welcome, y'all. Greg Armstrong here, your host. And we've been diving into conversations around the church and race. These are the spaces that we hold for us to really lean in to the conversation about church and race. And as you all know by now, if you've been listening to the podcast, I am a 100 percent advocate for God's vision for the multi-ethnic church. Mm -hmm. And so that's where this leans into. And so welcome back, everybody. Thanks for jumping in. It's a good day because I've got my sister (laughs) in the house. Yes. (laughs) I don't even know what to listen to me, y'all. If you've seen me, you've more than likely seen Mm -hmm. her. Yep. (laughs) We've been rocking together since 2015, 2016. My songwriting partner, my yes. worship leading partner, my homie, Jacqueline Owens, everybody. What's up? Hey, guys. In I'm- the building. <laughs> Come on, man. We were not doing this podcast yeah. <laughs> if Jacqueline Owens wasn't going to be on this podcast. Oh, that's funny. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> and so I got to like, I got to frame this a little bit mm-hmm. because everybody knows like from the songs we've written the one that's gotten the most attention, Psalm 91. So when I say, oh, that's Jackie, when they meet you, they're like, that's, that's the girl that's singing Psalm 91 with the hat. Uh, by the way, the hat the is hat, the anointing. You know. And uh, so Jackie, Jackie, we've known each other since 2016, 20, earlier than that, yeah, actually. Yeah, I was at like 2015. 2015. Least, yeah. And we really felt a call to begin writing songs for the church. And so we sat and we we hung out for a while talked about what it would look like to write songs for the church Mm -hmm. specifically for churches like multi-ethnic churches songs that would potentially cross over into multiple spaces and we just jumped out there and did it and we've been rocking ever since with renew collective so if y'all know us from renew collective we're the ones that's always hollering and singing well i'm hollering you sing (laughs) right that's that's about how it goes (laughs) i'm hollering you sing fun fact about me and jackie people don't really know this like I am the extroverted person mm-hmm. in this duo. Jackie is the introverted person in this duo. Yeah, and very extreme, two extremes. So we balance one another out, right? Like so, mad extremes. So Greg, he'll, he'll say, sis, let's cut a record next week. And I'm like, uh-uh, how about three years from now? Let's, let's you know, 
let's let's plan this out you know and then we meet somewhere in the middle maybe a few months down the line you know that's exactly how it goes (laughs) yeah i'm more spontaneous my add kicks in real strong randomly (laughs) and i'm like jackie let's write 12 songs for a record we can record it next month and she's like why don't we take three months and write us one song and make it a good one so we balance each other out so good yeah and it's been a joy leading worship with you you're my homie all day and we're gonna keep doing it Uh, she's the one that's kept you've kept me leading worship Mm. like I tried to kind of kind of set the the Mm -hmm. mantle down and and focus on pastoring but I've been encouraged by you to keep singing keep leading and all that kind of good stuff I mean that's awesome you have a gift for it and you know I I know God wants you to continue using that so appreciate you girl I I mean I'm excited to be here like you said we I've been partners in crime for a while, and yeah. man, I mean, I, I definitely look to you as just my my partner in ministry and a mentor, even. So, I'm excited for this and what God is is doing, even through this podcast. Like, this is exciting. So, thank you, thanks for inviting. Come me. on, you already <laughs> know it's fab. So today we're we're gonna talk about worship, and we're talking about music. We've been talking about church planting, multi ethnic church planting on this podcast. We've been talking about sort of like some sociological constructs as it relates to church and race. Today we're gonna talk about music, which is actually one of the the major keys as you talk about race, ethnicity, and the church. Mm -hmm. Mainly because a lot of churches want to diversify through, probably through the music in, in many respects first. I know over the years, over the years, like being in church ministry or consulting with other churches and worship teams, the one uh, indicator that churches feel that will make the church diverse mm-hmm. is music. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. But what I want to dig into, um, this sparked a little bit of buzz a little while ago with an article that came out. I read it in religion new, Religious News. And the article was called, There's a Reason Every Hit Worship Song Sounds the Same. Mm, mm-hmm. Like, that, that, <laughs> that, that, that subject cracked me up. Like, <laughs> like, like, whoever wrote the article is like, that's how they feel. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? There's a reason why every hit worship song sounds the same. Now, here's kind of the subtitle on it. The study looked at 38 songs that made the top 25 list of CCLI and praise charts, which track what songs are played in churches, and found that almost all had originated from one of four mega churches. Mm. And one of the quotes was this If you've ever felt like most worship music sounds the same, the study's authors wrote, the, the study's author wrote, it may be because the worship music you are most likely to hear in many churches is written by just a handful of songwriters from a handful of churches. Yeah, that's and that's kind of where we find ourselves in. So a little bit of background, because I think we got some credibility to talk about this subject. Mm-hmm. One, Jack and I are songwriters. We've been in worship ministry. I know I've been in worship ministry over 20 years leading worship. You about the same. Tell mm-hmm. me about uh, how long you've been leading worship. I would say about 15 years or so for sure. Yeah. 15 years leading mm-hmm. worship mm-hmm. in multiple settings. So mm-hmm. not so in black church worship settings, in white church worship settings, and in multi-ethnic church spaces. Yep. We've both led worship in these spaces. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to, you know, we're not the experts at it, but I wanted to kind of ground some credibility in this subject. that We've seen quite a bit. Yeah in the worship space yeah we've we've seen and experienced some things because of that breadth of you know experiences we've had in different different settings so 
Exactly. Yeah, we, we've seen some things. <laughs> and then it also expands when you start talking about songwriting. So not mm-hmm. just leading worship, but as songwriters, who are we writing these songs for? What churches are going to sing these songs? Thinking through and assessing where would this fit the best? And so we're going to have this conversation. Um, what were your initial thoughts of the article before I jump in? Give me just some bullet points that you were thinking about when you read the article about all these songs being, these are the top four or five mega churches Mm -hmm. and it's being recycled through the same handful of churches and songwriters. So my first thought was facts. Like (laughs) this is facts. Like I can't tell you how many times I've led worship at a church and I go back the next week and be like, I know we did this song last week. <laughs> like, you know, are, is it a really a different song? Because they are tending to sound the same. And so, you know, I think as songwriters, this is something we've kind of known because as songwriters, we're like, oh, who wrote this? We're looking at the writers and we're right. constantly right. seeing some of the same names. Like, oh, this guy's, you know, but the average listener or, you know, worship person in the congregation may not be paying attention to that fact of who wrote it. But yeah, when you start to look into it, you definitely see a trend. And so I thought the article was spot on. Like the songs are coming from some of the same few places and you can kind of tell, you can kind of tell through how, how the songs are sounding. It all sounds the same. Yeah. Like, and I'm not knocking, like a lot, can I make this disclaimer about it? By the way, I got my most worship leader look going on right here. And this was not, <laughs> this was not intentional. I got a flat bill with the clear glasses and all that kind of stuff. But it, it's, it's, uh, I love a lot of these songs that's mm-hmm. out oh, right yeah. now. Like, I, we got to make that disclaimer because Please. when we yeah. start talking about this and really, kind of pulling layers back on it i don't want people to assume that the songs that this article is referencing or even the songwriters Mm -hmm. that they're bad they're not they're not bad it's a lot of songs we do at our church Mm -hmm. by some of these same artists the artists by the way are hillsong i think elevation church bethel um, Bethel, Mm -hmm. and i think a little bit of passion was in there Mm -hmm. as well so Mm -hmm. those are like the four yeah i think 22 of the songs came from just those four churches 22 of the biggest songs they were singing in churches came from four mega churches four mega churches and so by the way we love a lot of well not all of them but a lot (laughs) I love a lot of these songs yeah. that we do in our church. And it's funny, depending on who's doing the songs, the congregation don't even always know like where the song came from. Yeah, but us yeah. as songwriters and worship leaders, we do. Mm-hmm. And so I want to I wanna preface it with that. Um, I'm going to spark a few things that we need to talk about regarding this. Um, one, these songs are coming from mega churches. Mm-hmm. The megachurch construct is frowned upon by many, accepted by many. I'm not here to demean the megachurch. But here's a few things that I wrote down that we need to understand. The megachurch's influence and ability to shape culture is massively undervalued. Mm. Megachurches are shaping Christian culture in a way that is actually, in some ways, there's some good, but in a lot of ways, especially for smaller churches, mm-hmm. it is abs- it, it's hurting smaller churches because smaller churches feel as if they need to be mm-hmm. said yeah, mega church. They're, they're becoming idols. These mega churches are becoming idols and something smaller churches are looking to. Like this, this is where we're trying to get to. And that's reflected even beyond music, how we're set in stages and all types of aspects. You know what I'm saying? Like 
people are just like idolizing these mega churches, the smaller churches. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think we like we undervalue the influence of the mega church. Mm -hmm. And so if we're going to start talking about the songwriters and the songwriters that come from mega churches, I think we need to talk about the impact and the influence of a mega church on Christendom, mm -hmm. on the modern Christian movement. Mega churches are still are still kind of leading the charge in how we do church. Girl, listen, I saw, I ain't naming no names, <laughs> but but like even, not just music, but aesthetics. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I saw like a storefront church, <laughs> a storefront church right. with an LED wall. <laughs> it's like, we can see the words. <laughs> do you understand what I'm saying? Like you could have put a 30 inch TV on the stage. <laughs> And we would have seen the lyrics. That's funny. But but they but but <laughs> please don't kill me. But you got an LED wall and no knock. But, but but the way I look at that is you probably should fix the roof first mm -hmm. or get some new carpet before you put a ten thousand mm -hmm. dollar LED wall. Right. How's in your, your church. sound system going? You know? Get 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 the sound system <laughs> right. LED wall, but that's just one of the to me, that's one of the effects of a mega church mm -hmm. setting the standard for what christian practice especially when it comes to aesthetics mm -hmm. should look like yeah. they laugh at us a lot you know our production uh cheryl our production uh director here at our church you know i'm like yo bring them lights down some <laughs> you know and and we get that from the theatrical mm -hmm. um very consumerist um uh, very attractional mega church model. And that's no secret. So everybody knows I'm not throwing shade on that. Like, that's not a secret. Mm -hmm. Like, we all get the lighting, and everybody's got LED lights. Everybody's got fernails. Everybody's got lip soil. Everybody's got staging. Everybody's blacking out their stage. Mm -hmm. We get this from the mega church. Um, theatrical, uh, attractional example that then smaller churches mm -hmm. begin to adopt. Mm -hmm. And so my first point to this whole article is because it was really centered around mega churches mm -hmm. is that mega churches have massive influence on how we do church. Yeah. I don't care what anybody says, even if you're anti, unless you are just fully anti-attractional. Most churches that I've encountered, black, white and other mm -hmm. small, big or medium have adopted mega church principles mm -hmm. to scale and grow. Yeah. And we've done the same thing. So I don't want to act like we're yeah. exempt. Like yeah. we've done the same, we got some vibe in our church. And it's, it's scary because it's it creates this like group thing type of thing of, you know, what's right or what, what allows the Holy Spirit to come in when the lights are a certain way or the music sounds a certain way. And in the midst, you're losing originality. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. So what happens is we go to some mega churches conference, we're in awe of, the lights and you know the led screens and everything and then we come back and bring it to our church and try to replicate mm -hmm. but we need to have originality in there somewhere too like what is god doing in this church how what how can we use the creativity in our church to come up with ideas of how to be creative in our service exactly so i'm telling you that that's the first thing that's that's i'm posing that mm -hmm. um we'd love to hear you all's thoughts in the comments on that secondly here's here's my second thought on this article is that many mega churches and music departments within them, they understand ministry, but they also understand industry. Mm, yeah. That there's an industry to the music that you and I subscribe to or write 
that mega churches can tap into. Mm-hmm. And now you're talking about, then you're talking about resource. You're talking about resources. You're talking about marketing dollars. You're talking about influence. You're talking about who's who. You're talking about being connected to the major recording labels. Mm-hmm. How much money can <laughs> these songs bring to our ministry through industry? Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not saying that's bad. Yeah. I'm, what I'm saying is though, the muscle a megachurch has to promote and market music and and set the standard for an industry is massively undervalued, and we don't we don't realize how much that that mm-hmm. the implications are with that. Mm-hmm. But then also, it's a major line item as it relates to the relevancy of that church. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you if you notice the trend, and it's not so much a trend, but even pre-pandemic. Um, even the boom of the mega church days, black, white, and other. I mean, T.D. Jakes got albums and records. Mm-hmm. I remember when uh, New Birth and, and Eddie Long, they had albums and records. Mm-hmm. Music as an industry is always one of the first objectives for a relevant and growing ministry. Yep. Music. What is it? Why? Because it more, it 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 enhances and reveals the relevancy of said ministry, one, but then it also opens up revenue line mm-hmm, items mm-hmm. for the ministry exactly. in terms of record sales. Exactly. And we don't talk about it enough. Yeah. We always forget that. Mm-hmm. So when, when the question is being asked in this article, why do these four or five mega churches corner the industry in terms of music? Mm-hmm. It's because they make money. Right. And it works. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it they works. make money. They got money to market it like crazy. Therefore, it's the number one hit on the charts. You hearing it on the radio over and over. You get to church. Oh, that's my jam. Worship leader, can we sing this song? Because that's my jam. It's, it's like this chain of events, and it's an industry game, if you will. Like, it's, it's, it's about industry. It's about funds. Like, that's what's happening. And people don't realize how much business goes into oh, yeah. running a functional organization, oh, yeah. especially a music organization. And it's no different in the worship industry than in the secular world, mm-hmm. which is we're going to go with a sound and we're going to hire the same producers. You know, I think about when like Dark Child was hot mm-hmm. and he produced everybody's record. And, you know, you heard him on Michael Jackson, you heard him on Beyonce, you heard him on. I mean, I'm not saying he's not relevant now, mm-hmm. but there are new producers now that are driving mm-hmm. the sound that consumers are buying. Yeah, yeah. And so and so I I'm not mad at like the mega churches cornering the market, mm-hmm. but the reality is from a business perspective, mm-hmm. if they found a formula mm-hmm. to write songs that sound the same because consumers are gonna keep buying and streaming these same songs right. and churches are gonna keep singing them and big churches are singing them. So now they're reporting, the CCLI reporting, mm-hmm. the, the revenue, the uh, monetization. Now, if my video is gonna get a million views, this money, yeah. it's big money. Sure. And so that's just a reality. So I, I, yeah. I don't hate on it. Hey, but. Right, and we, we can't hate on it because they are writing amazing songs. Like The Blessing, are you kidding me? <laughs> like. T- to me, that song is like a masterpiece. It is like, so they're writing good songs, but I mean, again, I mean, even that kind of goes back to budget. They hiring the best songwriters out there. <laughs> you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like it, a lot of it does come back down to money, industry, revenue. What's gonna bring in revenue for the church? Because the article also mentioned that, like, b- pre 2010, 
it was individual worship leaders who were putting out these hit songs like Chris Tomlin and you know but after that they started partnering with these mega churches like now they're affiliated with one of these four to six mega churches boom you hire one of the best songwriters the big guys out there revenue that's it so let's just make that that's just that's just what it is right and so some of the assumptions though so i'll get into those are some of the realities Mm -hmm. i want to get into some of the some of the assumptions that perhaps i may have a problem with with mega church or the cornering of songwriting and all this kind of stuff one one is this is that we as a culture as a church culture have almost placed the mega church and these influential churches as the experts Mm -hmm. in every area of Christian engagement because they're large. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So it's like, because you know, I mean, I've gone to conferences of massive churches and you know, when you go to a conference, man, to at a huge church, Mm -hmm. you know, you go to like that elevation behind the scenes thing they used to do, or you go to like gateway or some of these other massive, you walk into the space and you're like instantly inspired. Mm -hmm. Like God wants me Mm -hmm. to do this. like God wants me to do this and you go through a tour and they show you all the gear that they use Mm -hmm. they show you like you know the $2,000 in-ear monitor packs they show (laughs) you you know the $1,000 capsule on the mic and you're like y'all amazing that's why you sound so dope I need to go back home and do this right Right? Mm -hmm. and uh, but because these ministries are successful no matter how the success came Perhaps the success came through a leading voice, a personality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Perhaps the success came like Hillsong, not just through the influence of their church, but their music really like made them right. fully, fully, fully relevant. And then they spun off to other things. But when we see the mega church as the expert, I think for me, it begins to hurt the local witness mm-hmm. of um, those who are on the ground doing the work mm-hmm. in forgotten spaces. Mm-hmm. And let's relate this to songwriters, for instance. Yeah. So we, most people look at a, look at a Phil Wickham or a Hillsong or Bethel, whatever the case, and say, because they are so popular, because they're so good, and I'm not saying they're not, because they are, right. but because they are so massively relevant and because so many people actually listen and listen and sing their music, they are the experts in songwriting. Mm-hmm. They are the ones. Yeah. And I think that hurts the witness of the local worship leader, the local songwriter, because then there's an insignificance that comes because you know that your song, whether you think it's good or not, it's never going to hit the masses. Mm -hmm. But there's this play in there. You know what I'm saying? What's your thoughts on that? I mean, for sure. I mean, God is he's doing who, who knows better, like what your church needs to hear in this season than somebody in the congregation. You know what I'm saying? Like and that's why I believe like everybody should be writing you know what I'm saying every church should be writing because you're sitting there you know what God is doing you know what people need to hear and what they're going to be blessed by you know what I'm saying and so you're going and snatching this song from some big conference or something you know maybe God has like something really specific he wants to say to your church and through your church to the rest of the world you know what I'm saying um yeah, I, I and think we love those songs. Like we, we, we love. We gonna we always have a what a beautiful name it is and a reckless. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, those yeah, are right my on. jams. That's that's not knocking that or saying we need to totally eradicate these mega church songs. However, we need to not stamp on creativity within the church. I agree, with, and within I, our local churches. And with that, because because we look at mega churches as the expert, 
and we say because the preaching is good, they're, they're experts at preaching because um, groups are blowing up. They're experts at groups. I mean, there's a lot of different indicators that make a church thrive. Mm-hmm. And one geography, environment, yeah. part of the country, mm-hmm. you know, gifting, whatever yeah. the case may be. Yeah. But I think the wrong assumption is to look at a mega church and say, you are the expert at said, said things mm-hmm. because you have the resource to provide said things. Like, cause I, you, you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, here's what I say to that in terms of songwriting. Cause mm-hmm. you mentioned songwriting and, um, and how we need to write for our local expression. I believe, I'm gonna say this so y'all don't kill me on this, but I, I believe this. I believe that the mega church worship industry, songwriting, mm-hmm. whatever, mm-hmm. Has, has inspired us in many ways. I've been so inspired by these songs that have come out of the mega churches, both black, white, and mm-hmm. other. Mm-hmm. However, it's also made us extremely lazy. Yeah. Because I believe that as local worship pastors, songwriters, and churches, it is easier for me to say what's the top twenty hits yeah. <laughs> that I can that 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 my worship team's already listening to, mm-hmm. and because they're listening to it, I'm gonna teach it. They love it. The church loves it because it's it's top twenty on whatever. Right. I don't know the new. I don't know Christian radio now, but whatever's out there right. now. K loves that's the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. So because everybody is circulating, everybody knows it. It's gonna work, and it does work. Mm-hmm. But it's to me, it's lazy, not irresponsible, but lazy mm-hmm. when you lean on these massively produced and available songs rather than leaning into the vulnerability of a con- local congregation mm-hmm. and saying what would express kingdom in my local congregation mm-hmm. that it's going to take a little bit of work for me to really lean into. Yeah. What does that call for? That means that. I have to be incarnational in my relationship. Mm-hmm. I got to be amongst people. I got to know who's in my, I got to know who's in my congregation. Right. I got to know what my, like the burden of my leadership, mm-hmm. like what do we stand for, who mm-hmm. we are. And then I write to those things. And I just think people get lazy when they say, oh, that song's dope. Let's mm-hmm. grab that and sing mm-hmm. it. Because if you fire that song up, mm-hmm. most times, everybody's going to jump in and sing it. Oh yeah. However, if Jack, if you've written a song for your congregation, mm-hmm. And it's gonna take a little time mm-hmm. to digest. Oh, yeah. They just they just gonna look at me the first time. I this it. look at you, look at me. okay? I gotta digest. <laughs> this wasn't okay, love. Like, where this come from? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it takes a little time to digest the sincerity of those words for a local congregation. Mm-hmm. Then I think a lot of people take the easier route. Yeah, which is just grab a song, grab a song, grab a song. And I won't do this again, but I'm gonna give a disclaimer here. We love these songs. Mm-hmm. However, I feel like sometimes it does not empower local songwriters yeah. to be faithful to local geography mm-hmm. and local place yeah. and local incarnational church and ecclesiology. Mm-hmm. And it allows for us to just take what's easy yeah. and preach it. Yeah. It's, it's a popularity contest. <laughs> like that's, that's really what it's come down to. Like you said, it's, it's easy to just see what are the top songs. And I, I'm guilty of that. <laughs> like as, as a worship leader, you know, I just like, okay, what's going, we've got to use this phrase, like what's going to work, you know, right, what's gonna like, work? that's, that's scary. <laughs> that's, that's scary to see what's going to work. And that kind of, this is a whole nother topic for another podcast, but that leads into the kind of consumerism mindset that has crept into the church too. Like it's all what's going to be popular, what's going to keep the coming people coming back what's gonna make people feel the holy spirit you know what i'm saying like it's 
yeah, consumerism. I know it's another podcast, <laughs> but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, consumerism, individualism is one thing that kills local church mm-hmm. ministry mm-hmm. because we only want to feed what we know people want mm-hmm. rather than feed what people need. So I believe this, Jackie, me and you have talked about this mm-hmm. so many times. I believe the challenges that come through preaching of the gospel in a local congregation should also be the same challenges that challenge our people through the singing of mm-hmm. song, through mm-hmm. the working out of lyric, yeah. and through local um, local worship mm-hmm. in terms of music and, exp- mm-hmm. and arts expression. No, that, I mean, that's it. Like, look, a pastor can't go snatch Bethel's message from last Sunday and plug it into their church. Why are we doing that with our music? Well, they do. Yeah, they shouldn't. They shouldn't. <laughs> look, it's, it'll be a little fishy, but... You know, that same originality or ideally the leader, whether it be the pastor or the worship leader, is hearing from God of what God wants to say to your congregation. So we have to be doing the same thing with our music. You know what I'm saying? Why can our music be copycat from the top four churches? Um, We we just we have to do better. All right. Here's the final assumption Mm -hmm. that I want for this for, for this article that I want to pose. I believe in these, and I'm going to get into the race part of this in a minute, so, so y'all hold on with me, but I want to I hit these assumptions. This last assumption is that because of the influence of megachurches and their availability and their relevancy mm-hmm. to a broader, to a worldwide culture, we assume that the songs that are in the top 25, these, these 38 mm-hmm. songs, mm-hmm. we assume that those are God's choices for mm-hmm. the body. Mm-hmm. It's an assumption. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying everybody. Mm-hmm. It's, an, it's an assumption that those songs are what God is choosing for this hour. And I've heard people say that. Yeah. Like, this is a song for this hour. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that God, God has voices for this hour mm-hmm. that are for the world. God has ministries for this hour that are for the world. God has music for this hour that are for the world. But when I look at the top, thir- when I look at 38 songs, in the top 25 list that all sound the same mm-hmm. and that all from the same <laughs> majority white mega church construct. Yeah. I have a hard time believing mm-hmm. that this is God's songs right. for this hour primarily, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. primarily, yeah. which, which feeds into our explanation of industry, mm-hmm. that industry and commerce and economy, oftentimes drives what we think mm-hmm. is God's plan for the day. Right. When actuality is just money. Yeah, it's, it's not a coincidence that your favorite songs that help you feel the Holy Spirit are all from the churches that have a lot of money <laughs> to market the songs and to keep, you know, have you hear it on the radio. Again, this, we're not demonizing these songs at no, all. No, like, not at all, no, no, no. These are jams, like absolute jams. But again, I, the conversation is worth having to expand you're thinking that these are not coincidences. You know what I'm saying? Like what's going into this? What should we be doing better? What should we be doing differently? You know? Right. Like, so somebody who's like killing in songwriting at a church of 50 people Mm -hmm. who's writing powerful songs for his local congregation. That's very biblical, theologically centric, Jesus centric, like because he doesn't have uh, a half a million dollars to really market the song. Does that make it any less relevant? You know, any less powerful. And that's the point. The point is, we we've made assumptions that oh these this this is God's song for this mm-hmm. hour and I think to my when people say that I think to myself maybe it's one of them but to be honest with you it's the song that has been most 
placed in front of us for this mm. hour. You know what I mean? Like, mm. it's been the song that's been most heavily marketed to us in this hour. <laughs> it's been the song that has been most, you know? Yeah. And, and again, there are songs for this hour mm. that God, I believe, breathes upon. Yeah, that great song. But then, also, but then also, I believe that leaning into the wrong assumption that these 38 songs in the top 25 list are like God's choice for the body of Christ right now mm. is problematic for me. And that leads me into sort of a segue into the reason why I believe it's problematic because now um, I, I, gotta, I, I got so much, I had to write my <laughs> stuff down. I, I think the deeper issue is this. The deeper issue is that many of these songs, these 38 songs in the top 25, are not just for the audiences that they were written for locally, mm-hmm. but they've seeped into the greater Christian community in all in mm-hmm. all racial demographic mm-hmm. of church. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's hitting everywhere. Yeah. So every church is singing, you know, at one time, every church. When I say every church, <laughs> unless you only sing out the hymnal, mm-hmm. every church was singing Holy Spirit, oh, yeah. right, mm-hmm. by Bethel. Mm-hmm. Um, most church, what are churches singing? Now? Everybody, everybody's singing something. I mean, I mean our, every song. church sang Our God with oh, Tim, yeah. Tim, Chris Tomlin back in the day. <laughs> that, I don't care if you sang... I don't care if you were a, a monk. <laughs> Chris Tomlin got paid oh, yeah. oh, from yeah. the monastery because mm-hmm. you sang Our God. Then <laughs> right. he did the world edition and all that exactly. kind of stuff. <laughs> Translated in a million different languages, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Like some of these songs have crossed over, and some of the songs on this list, I'm not going to read them, have crossed over into spaces where the song really wasn't written for that demographic yeah you feel what i'm saying Mm -hmm. so here's what we hear a lot of times uh, with with churches they'll say man we want we were in a season of faith at our church we were a season of tilling the ground at our church Mm -hmm. we were at we were at a season of this and we wrote this song for our church so they're writing songs for their church Mm -hmm. yeah yeah they they do what they're supposed to do they do what they're supposed (laughs) to do right like you did Mm -hmm. you do what you're supposed to do Mm -hmm. But now I'm going to market this because this could actually have larger implications outside of our congregation. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, so now a black church would then adopt this song that doesn't fit the cultural narrative. Mm-hmm. It doesn't speak to the disparities of their community. Mm-hmm. And now we're supposed to, we're supposed to uh, appropriate that. And I think that's where we're missing it mm-hmm. in terms of mm-hmm. these churches that are cornering the market, where a white mega church in an affluent community, those words, that ecclesiology, that theology, Mm -hmm. those lyrics are not faithful to transfer into a community that's been um, demonized Mm -hmm. or marginalized or without much economy. Mm -hmm. But it still feeds those, like it still gets into those places. Yeah, yeah. So that's my that's my issue mm-hmm. and my problem as it relates to to race, yeah. because and here's where I want to d- dig into, because even industry wise and every industry person or artist who signed to a label can put their finger on this to some degree, even black music. And I'm a black man. I got I can talk for the music mm-hmm. that I know mm-hmm. gospel music, which is what I. I claim to do mm-hmm. even the crossover into the black market has to come as a result of these, these churches, mm-hmm. right? These, this, this, um, white normative kind of affluent experience, yeah. right? 
and I know these churches have ministry in urban communities or whatever, but my point is theologically where they come from, what they talk about has seeped into. So, so hear me, this is like me and Jackie's life. I talk all the time and she jumps in and then I keep talking. So I'm, I'm, I'm about to get to you, Jackie. No, you're good. So I came up, I came from the traditional black church, gospel music. I loved choirs growing up. That's all I love. I loved choirs. So Hezekiah Walker was it. Mm-hmm. I love, I, to this day, I listen to John P. Key weekly. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm, I'm like traditional, yes. like, well, they weren't traditional at the time. They were like cutting edge. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and Gerald, my buddy, our friend, introduced me to like commission and got me into the winings and stuff like that when college. But before that, I'm listening to like Timothy Wright, Hesky Walker, John P. K. I'm listening to Pages of Life. For I mean, you gotta have a choir with three parts and multiple people. <laughs> right, right. And to this day, that's my jam. That's my vibe right oh, now. Yeah. And um, uh, and I remember coming up in sort of the the multi-ethnic slash majority white mm-hmm. worship space. Mm-hmm. Now I remember. Now this started happening before my time, but I remember in the late 90s, early early to late 90s as a kid, I remember um, black churches beginning to adopt these songs yeah. that didn't necessarily fit theologically or even eth- uh, ethnically. Mm-hmm. But here was what was said. The songs that we're getting from Christian, commu- Christian um, contemporary Christian music Watch this. This this is what was said. They're more heartfelt. Mm. They're more sincere. Mm. They have better language. They're actually worship because these songs are like love to the father. Mm-hmm. And they got like pads and strings and it's <laughs> soft and I'm crying and all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Back then it was I could sing of you. I mean, when that dude wrote what was that dude from? What's what church was he from? Um, I forgot his name. Uh, Over the mountains and the sea, your river runs with love for me. Whatever, whatever. Y'all know it in the comments. (laughs) But that kind of stuff, you know, over the mountains and the sea, your river runs with love for me. And I will open up my heart and let the healer set me free. Black folk weren't saying that. Like, we weren't saying none of that. That don't even sound right. It don't sound right to me now. You know what I mean? Beautiful song. Yeah. Or what was the song? What was the song where the dude, the dude said, um, you know, our church has become too vain. Mm. Um, and so we're going to stop, like, wor- stop singing or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, uh, what was that song when they stopped singing and he wrote a song? I'll, I'll, I'll bring you more than a song. Mm. I'll bring you more than a song because yeah. a song in itself is not what you. Yeah. And it's like, oh, my God, this guy is like, oh, he's, it's more than music. It's more than song. This is heartfelt. Mm-hmm. This is real worship. Mm-hmm. This stuff was happening in a lot of black spaces. Yeah. In where I was coming up at, mm-hmm. that music's more sincere. It's more heartfelt. It's mm-hmm. more worshipful. It's more soft. And over here in the black church experience, we're talking about, yo, I made it out. Right. It's like, yo, um, hymns, you know, precious Lord, take my hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm suffering, yada, yada, yada. And we understand the cultural implications to that and why our songs from our historic black gospel writers right. were about those topics because that's all we had to really get ourselves out. Exactly. Songs of hope, songs of freedom, songs of liberation. We ain't had no time to talk about I Can Sing of Your Love Forever. Exactly. I'm trying not to die. <laughs> right. <laughs> you understand what I'm yeah. saying? Because 
I'm trying not to die. I'm trying not to get fired from this job because I'm with a racist boss. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to like keep my kids eating. I'm it's it's a different yeah. framework. And so I'm I'm I want to say this. The history of black gospel music is some of the richest theological historical music mm -hmm. that you will ever find just because it's birthed out of a hope for liberation. Mm -hmm. When, in my opinion, that's directly tied to Jesus's mission of bringing hope, liberation to a people who were oppressed. Mm -hmm. And so our songs came came intuitively out of those spaces of oppression, of hurt, of pain. And so that we needed music to change and cultivate and bring hope and, and heal the disparities of injustice and and and, and Sundays and mm -hmm. it was our church. We dressed up for church mm -hmm. on Sundays while we were serving white people during the week. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. This was our time. This was our space. This was our, and so we sang those songs. So the audacity in that cross section to say that worship by white songwriters and artists and contemporary Christian music industry is more heartfelt. Mm -hmm and more sincere yeah. than the black worship experience, yeah. it just kills me. And yeah. I think it's absolutely dead wrong. Yeah. And I'm glad that that's no longer a dominant narrative, mm -hmm. but I think it hides behind some of what we still do now. Yeah. Any, any no, thoughts? I mean, for sure, no. <laughs> like, like, I'm over here getting passionate. <laughs> Like, like I said, I'm used to this, Greg. That's what we do. This is what we do, right? <laughs> no, but I mean, God is just so personal you know like you said well one person you know experiences him most as a healer somebody else experiences him most as uh the guy who sets free you know what i'm yeah, saying yeah it's i think it's important to just realize to acknowledge different viewpoints you know what i'm saying like why are you going and singing somebody else's testimony i think of it as like even when we were kids, when I was little, like Destiny's Child came out and we were singing, gonna pay my telephone bills. Go Girl, you five, you 10. You don't got no telephone bills, you know? <laughs> it kind of equates to that to me. Like, you singing a song that is not necessarily from your viewpoint. Like, the words that the somebody else is singing might be true, but that's why the songwriting is important. Like, what has God been for you? How has he revealed himself to you? And then to create songs out of that, I mean, that's powerful. That's how you get diversity, you know, in music and, and in songs that the local church are singing. And stretch yourself. Yeah. You know, one critique, not critique, but one observation that I get, like our church being, our church being a multi-ethnic church, and we'll do all kind of different music. And one, one observation I'll get from white people in our church is, how do y'all hold on so much through adversity? Mm. Not just racial adversity, but just adversity, period. Like, like our, 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 the theology in black music, both Christian and secular, has had within itself this, this need for um, endurance mm -hmm. and strength. And that's why I love soul music. It just talks about the experience of the black life, mm -hmm. which is very different than others. Mm -hmm. And so I agree with you in that, in that we, we need to have stronger expression individually, mm -hmm. not just black, but mm -hmm. other cultures mm -hmm. too, mm -hmm. our Indian culture, Asian culture, you know, another Hispanic culture and other. But the theology needs to be steeped out of, out of God's, plan mm -hmm. for your life and your community mm -hmm. 
so that you can then serve that community. P a part of why I think we've gotten in trouble with this is because of the, the worldwide influence. Like we've lost the power of place, mm -hmm. right? Uh, my guy, Jonathan Brooks in Lawndale, um, he wrote a, a powerful book talking about the theology of place. The theology of place and understanding proximity and where God has placed you, your life is now steeped in that. Mm. Your life is now steeped in the reality and the theology of place, where God has placed mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. So I think it's super difficult, to your point, yeah. it's super difficult when we grab the theological perspective, the, um, <laughs> the, the, the cultural framework, mm -hmm. the lyricism, from a, a context that has nothing to do with our context. Right, right. And we say, yo, I can, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna adopt that for where we are and wonder why we're seeing not as much lasting change, in my opinion, mm -hmm. at the local level. And so we're actually challenging, if you all can hear that, if you can tell, we're challenging songwriters. We're challenging songwriters and worship pastors and musicians to if you are called to songwriting into the even the industry that you're writing songs for place for the theology of place for where god has placed you mm -hmm. but because of the worldwide everybody wants to be around nations now exactly everybody feels like my song needs to go go to the nations and i don't i don't think that's bad right. but i think it's distorted mm -hmm. i think it's distorted people's purposes because if it doesn't go to the nations we feel like it's irrelevant right. and because Hillsong's gone to the nations they are relevant and because Bethel's gone to the nations they are relevant one thing I will say about those ministries outside of the economics outside of the marketing outside of the influence is that many of those ministries say what you want about them they did what they do right they they did and they do what they do mm -hmm. They sing what they sing, yep. they play what they play, and they write how they write, right. and they're not changing it. Right. And then all of us are saying, we want to take that and appropriate it to our context. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, we're just doing what we're doing. Yeah. That's why I hate, and you're, I, we've talked about this too, I hate when we try to write songs to sound like them. Oh, yeah, no. Because it's like, what are you, what's wrong with you? <laughs> That's offensive, in my opinion, to the innate nature of an individual, a creative, mm -hmm. that God has made and formed before the foundation of the world. Yeah. Okay, have the influence of them, but you're not here to write songs like that. And them. I, I always say, we don't need another Bethel sounding song. We don't, like, we need the unique gifting that God has put inside of you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then it also has a matter, like you said, you cannot worry about popularity like it God's purpose of you writing a song could literally be to touch the hearts of the hundred people sitting in your congregation because that's Come what on. he wanted to say to them that's what he wanted to get across and so we have to check our our motives too like it has to be like God I'm writing this song and if five people are blessed by it but that's you know that's enough that's enough you know what I'm saying like popularity has to just become a lower priority, you know, when, when we're writing. Cause it don't, it don't really mean nothing. No. It might sell records. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and listen to me, it's some songs that's been written from other contexts that have really gotten me through, right? Mm -hmm. Like, especially in, I mean, gospel music is a worldwide industry 
And I mean, there have been some songs that got me through. Please keep writing those songs. If you're called to write for the world, called to write on a large level, national level, please. But what we're doing is we're challenging these local songwriters Mm -hmm. who feel like you're insignificant if you're not writing for the nations. Can I say something? Forget the nations. (laughs) Serve your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Serve your context. Write specifically for where God has placed you. And then if the Holy Spirit uses that and appropriates that to other cultures and contexts, Mm -hmm. praise be to God. Mm -hmm. But if he doesn't, Right for your local I mean, content. I, I think of Psalm 91. We did not sit down and say, let's write a hit. <laughs> you know it wasn't even going to be the single. You know what I'm saying? That, that was not the plan. We literally said, how has God been speaking to you this week? You know, what, 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 have, what have you been seeing in your word? And lo and behold, God has used it in the nation. Like, I mean, yeah. I get messages all the time from Africa and different places. Like, glory to God that that's how it's been used. But that wasn't the, the motive initially. No, never. It just was like, here is my experience and how what God is speaking to me this mm. week. Let's put it in a song. You know, so if you start out with, okay, what's going to be a hit? Motives are wrong. It's already <laughs> wrong. wrong. It's already wrong. I want to speak really quick to to the songwriters, um, musicians, worship pastors um, that may be listening or watching this podcast. Um, something I was challenged with years ago. I, I even think Ferdick's the one that said it. This is speaking of mega church, <laughs> <laughs> but but um, I remember either reading or hearing that one of the most um, disparaging places in a creator's home is creativity left on a hard drive. Hmm. Wow! That you've got songs sitting on a hard drive music sitting on a hard drive Mm -hmm. that you in your pride Mm -hmm. will not appropriate to your local context or to wherever God has you Mm -hmm. do it. And you're not releasing what God has placed in you. It's a very prideful posture. Ouch. I look ouch. (laughs) Come on somebody. (laughs) Look, look, I feel a little guilty up here. (laughs) I'm telling you, man, like we, we've been so industry driven Mm -hmm. And so industry discipled that if this song won't take off, I'm not going to release it. The devil is a lie. (laughs) First of all, life is way too short to be sitting on creativity on a hard drive. And, and, uh, you know, you know, God forbid you leave this world and we and we've never experienced Mm -hmm. or your local context has never experienced Mm -hmm. what God placed in you because you left it on a hard drive Mm -hmm. or too prideful to say this is not ready or it's not good or it's not perfect again that starts with redefining our definition of success success is not number success is this song doing what God intended for it to do that's it that's what success is again if that's just a few people like hearing it. You you never know if somebody heard this and you changed their mind about something or you provided some encouragement that they really needed that day. That has to be our, like kingdom definitions are different from worldly, Preach secular, Jacqueline secular Owens. <laughs> Say that again. Say that one again. <laughs> kingdom definitions have to be different from secular. Like it's a different worldview. Our paradigm is is different. And so what success looks like for the world, which is, Top in the charts, high sales, that's not kingdom success. Come on. Now, right, kingdom is often unseen mm-hmm. because kingdom success has everything to do with seed planting. Yeah. 
Seed, time, and harvest. Seed, watering, and harvest. And oftentimes, we don't see our songs as seeds. Because if we don't see the harvest right away. (laughs) A a fun fact about Psalm 91, Mm -hmm. right? And so, and we're proud of Psalm 91. Like, that's still my jam right now. (laughs) You know what I mean? And it don't have 7 million views. I mean, some of these videos now, I mean, they they, day one, they got 24 million Mm -hmm. views, you know. (laughs) But... Here's the thing. We wrote Psalm 91 in 16. Mm-hmm. We just went out and recorded it. Great song. Churches were singing mm-hmm. it. We were blessed mm-hmm. by it. It wasn't until the pandemic <laughs> that nobody knew the global pandemic was coming, right? Mm-hmm. We could, I ain't have a prophecy. I ain't have nothing about, <laughs> about that. But here's the thing. We found out that people were Googling and searching Psalm 91. Because they were needing to be comforted around the fact that God is going to keep us from pestilence. Yes. God is going to keep us, going to set our feet upon a rock. We're going to be secure under the safety of the most high. Under the, and so people start Googling mm-hmm. and then our video starts popping up. Mm-hmm. Our, Jackie hit me one day. She's like, a whole bunch of people watching this video. Yeah, I'm like, did you run a, a marketing campaign? What's, I ain't <laughs> what's <right>. happening? No. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other thing was like, then other other channels started like reappropriating the song and making lyric videos out of the song, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. The point in it is this. We didn't know that writing a song in 2016 was going to be the hope for somebody in 2020. Exactly. In the middle of a shutdown, when people were looking for hope at some of their lowest points, people were losing jobs. Mm-hmm. People were sick. People were losing loved ones. People were dying during the pandemic and people were consistently Googling Psalm 91, Psalm 91, Psalm 91. Our video started trending to the top of that, that mm-hmm. YouTube search mm-hmm. and people started being blessed by a song that we wrote four yeah. years earlier. Yeah. The it. kingdom is about seed is. and the kingdom is about the unseen. The kingdom is about sowing the seed and trusting the Holy Spirit to do with it what he wants to do with That's it. it. We in here preaching. <laughs> What's <laughs> All right. All right. We here preaching. We here preaching. Yo, this is so good. All right, so so here, so I, I want to keep leaning into this. I, I know we can't be here all day, and this, we already determined this probably needs to be multiple episodes. Yeah, too much, too much to get into. But I, I want, I really want to lean into this because this idea of um, white worship, in a sense, this was the narrative in '90s, white worship being <coughs> the more excellent way. Because it was more sincere, it was more simple. It, was, it didn't have all them chords in it. It didn't have all them distractions and intros and outros, which I hate. Because I'm a musician, I love my intros and outros. Mm-hmm. I love my I love my chords. I'm a gospel musician. Yep. That ain't gonna change. <laughs> As a matter of fact, you start losing your chops when you start playing CCM every week, <laughs> which you know. And then I started playing an acoustic guitar. I really went all the way in. So I could talk about this, y'all. I went from a B3 organ to an acoustic guitar. I'm a product. <laughs> I'm a product of I'm a product of the narrative. Oh, that's funny. Okay, well, uh, God's help me. So, you know, so we say, man, it's more simple. You can play it with a guitar. You can sing it by a campfire. Yada yada yada. I love Christian contemporary contemporary Christian music. I love gospel music. Gospel music, my preferred music. And these are the ones that I know. I know there are others, mm-hmm. right? And that we need to honor other cultures, other nationalities, other races that have beautiful music that honors God. Um, so I want to, I want to make that plain. Um, but I want to challenge those who have bought into the narrative of 
that this music is a more excellent way. I want to call us into a discipling out of, or in some spaces we can call it like a decolonizing mm. because, because while there is innocence in the way in which we uh, receive and listen to music, mm-hmm. while some people just love God and they write music and where it goes, where it goes, There is often like an agenda in some spaces where this is most comfortable to us. Mm-hmm. And so we we, we want to be multi-ethnic, but this is this is the multi-ethnic we're going to do. Like when it comes to the music, <laughs> right. You right. ain't right. <laughs> <laughs> we multi-ethnic, yeah. but you about to sing this hill song. Exactly. We ain't going to go no further than that. You understand what I'm saying? But no, the multi-ethnic is the ethnic person on stage singing it. That's listen. <laughs> but the songs all written by people who look the same. You know what I'm saying? Like That's those, what I'm saying. Those songs that we're talking about that were coming up for those mega churches, the overwhelming majority of them look the same, you know? Look the same, sound the same. And so I want to speak to that, to the multi-ethnic church that is dealing with the music side, which we're going to talk about how it affects the multi-ethnic church in a moment. But I, I want to kind of talk to two things right now. One is... If you're a multi-ethnic church and you see, let's say, white music or these four or five churches as the more excellent way, mm-hmm. then you're, in in my opinion, in major error in <coughs> regards to having a multi-ethnic uh, experience and community, yeah. right? Like we need to be, you know, there's a colonization that happens in a lot of spaces that mm-hmm. call themselves multi-ethnic. Mm-hmm. And it happens through music. It happens through preaching style, yep. right? Mm-hmm. It happens through aesthetics. It ha- it's, it's the, we talked about this in, in past podcasts. It's, 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 Willie Jennings calls it glorified white bodies. It's, mm-hmm. That is the more excellent way. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about multi-ethnic churches and when we begin to slice up what is going to be acceptable in this multi-ethnic church and what won't be, oftentimes, oftentimes, the music always gets the, 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 the bad end of the stick. Yep. It's always leaning towards the more comfortable way. Why? And this is what I've learned. This is my story mm-hmm. as a black worship leader that is led in majority white spaces or multi-ethnic spaces. I've learned that leading worship being me was too intrusive upon those who are white <laughs> in, the, in the congregation. Mm-hmm. And that, and that I, my job as a black worship leader was to represent diversity right Mm -hmm. was to represent inclusion and my job was to make sure i don't offend Mm -hmm. white people (laughs) now that sounds bad but that's just a fact and any 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 a person of color that has been in a space like that Mm -hmm. probably shouting right now on the other side of this (laughs) camera saying to god be up glad somebody said it's often phrased oh i don't think our church is ready for that song that's that's right. that's the way they're saying like a little too little too black a little too urban it's a little too much <laughs> that's a little too much yeah, yeah and so but it's it's actually a heavy load mm-hmm. as a person of color in a worship space to actually always assimilate to a way that makes mm-hmm. makes the majority white audience comfortable yeah and that's that's facts right it that's is. like that's like 100 facts mm-hmm. And so here's what I'm calling for. I'm calling for, one, the decolonization of churches who see the white 
experience musically as the right way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's wrong. Mm-hmm. Like that is not the more excellent way. Yeah. The black music experience is not the more excellent way. Mm-hmm. The Hispanic music experience is not the more excellent way. But in the majority of multi-ethnic churches, sorry, I take that back, not in the majority of, in a lot of multi-ethnic churches that I've encountered mm-hmm. that are majority white, that person of color leading worship has to assimilate and has to make feel comfortable mm-hmm. white people. So we scale back our voice. Mm-hmm. We scale back our vibrato. We take off that third harmony. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I ain't saying nothing, right? That's right. We That's take right. it off. We chill, and we start sounding like my man who was uh, who was the head of United. I remember one time I was singing. I was like, yo, I sound like this guy. That ain't me. <laughs> That ain't me, yeah. y'all. I mean, I mean, and as a worship leader who has been in that position, I, I literally felt like stifled, like frustrated, you know, when I would be singing these songs, and I'm like, what is, this? you know? And so, at one of the churches I ended up leaving, you know, kind of in my exit interview, I said, this God has given me a certain expression of worship, and I, I feel like I can't express it there, you know, like. You know, and, and I know it's not about me and my preferences, but you are like stamping out like who God created me to be. You know what I'm saying? Right. God, I have a certain vibrato. I have a certain way, like you expressed about that harmony. I've literally been told, oh, we don't need that third harmony in there. And it like boils me inside not to, not to, not to add the third harmony. You know what I'm saying? So it's like I'm not able to express myself fully if if I'm not singing in the expression that God is giving me. Yeah, and like we comply, right? Like yeah. if we're if we're making music or a part of a team, if you want something softer, loud or whatever, mm-hmm. like we we follow instructions, mm-hmm. but I think the overall the overall point is is if you want me a part of this team and you're saying you're multi-ethnic, there comes with that mm-hmm. some responsibility to understand that I'm bringing all of Jackie mm-hmm. to this team. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I want you on this team is because you have nuances and abilities and skills right. and gifts that we don't have. Because I'm forced to believe if <laughs> if I'm not able to express in the way God has given me, we, we talked about this earlier, why I haven't been hired. Like I have, I can only believe that is how I look, <laughs> you know, is the reason <laughs> that you hire me. If, if, I, if how I look and what I do is not being allowed to be expressed, you hire me because of how I look, and that's that's problematic. That's a good. That's that's strong, yo. Yeah, that's strong. Yeah. So if if you won't let me express myself within the confines of mm-hmm. appropriate culture, yeah. Yeah. if I can't express myself and be me, the only thing I can result to is that you wanted my color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jackie Owens, you preached on that one. <laughs> you preached on that one. That was good. Oh, that one got me stuck. All right. <laughs> So we need to be discipled out of uh, white music and songwriters are the more excellent way. And we need to be discipled into an inclusion of culture, an inclusion of messiness that says that you, what you bring to the table is going to change the construct of our, mm-hmm. of our, our organization, mm-hmm. of our music, of our church. Mm-hmm. Um, here's something super, super interesting. I've been reading this, this guy named, um, Gerardo Marty. You all may know him. He's a sociologist, he's a sociologist at Davidson University. 
Um, and so he, he wrote a whole book or dissertation on multi-ethnic worship in multi-ethnic churches. And I want us to deal with this for a second because he, he found some pretty dope observations that I want, I want to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, so here was one of his main conclusions out of this book. So y'all check him out. Excuse me, Gerardo Marty. Check him out. Here's, here's what he concluded in his book. I forgot the name of his book. I'll put it down there somewhere. He said, the racial diversity of the worship leadership is a greater determining factor of the racial diversity of a congregation than the music style. Mm. So the diversity of the the worship leadership is a greater determining factor of racial diversity Mm -hmm. in the church other than uh, above music. Mm -hmm. And he says it doesn't matter the quality or the style. A racially diverse worship team serves as an icon of hospitality, Mm -hmm. diversity, identifying the desire and effort on the part of the congregation to attract a racially diverse congregation. (laughs) All right. Uh, Further, he says, I read this last line. Further, the racial diversity established in the congregation is primarily relational relationships forged across racial lines by working together in the music ministry become a catalyst for a network of cross relate cross racial relationships mm. i thought that was a i thought that was a dope conclusion i'm gonna that's tell good. you why that's good. um the reason why i really like what what he wrote in this book is because for the last 20 years of me being in some sort of music ministry or church one of the key objectives to a church wanting to be multi-ethnic was changing the music. <laughs> and it's hilarious because it really never works. Right. It never worked. Or at least in, in, for me, in my context, it never worked. Mm-hmm. So I was hired by a church that was all white. And they said, man, we want to be multi-ethnic. And you understand both sides of the coin. So you can sing, you know, united pursuit but you also can sing fred hammond so if we bring that diversity out of you as excuse me out of you um then we're gonna like diversify this church Mm. and what happened was it turned the church black (laughs) because they did let me express myself the way i did Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. when i sang a song by chris tomlin it didn't sound like chris tomlin Mm. as a matter of fact the congregation didn't know who it was they thought i wrote it (laughs) Right. Right. And so the church turned black because the worship team was black. Mm -hmm. And now when I leave, all the black people leave because because they came for that kind of Mm -hmm. style and it didn't diversify the congregation. Mm -hmm. What uh, what Gerardo, what Marty is saying is it's the relationships and the leadership represented. Now, not tokenism, not Mm -hmm. putting up Mm -hmm. a Hispanic, a black, a white, uh, not not that. It's the relational component. Right. It's the proximity of said worship leaders that then makes the congregation more diverse. Mm-hmm. Not, he says, yeah. not the music style right. or even the quality. Mm-hmm. And that makes total sense because what it comes to me, what it comes down to is who's at the table making decisions. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. When, when a, a worship team and when pastors are diverse, there's diversity at the table for different ideas and different suggestions for song. I was at a church, I mean, 
stage full, all white church, stage full of black people, but we had no say in anything. We were singers. <laughs> like, we sang what they told us to. But when you flip that around and make leaders and bring people to the table who have diverse perspectives, that's how you diversify. You know what I'm saying? Diversity is not a white church having a stage full of black people. It's leadership and who is speaking into what's happening in the church and helping make decisions. That's how you bring diversity. Yeah, that's good. And, and in other words, also what you're saying, what I think you're saying mm -hmm. is who has power at the table mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to bring real change, yeah. Yeah. right? Not who's represented necessarily, right, right. but who's at the table who has some sort of, some sort of power um, attributed to their voice mm -hmm. in all races to really formulate a true multi-ethnic racial uh, a multiracial experience mm -hmm. because some people may say you know we ain't, we ain't doing that like for me you know in some spaces it's like we're not singing that song by Kirk Franklin because <laughs> Lil Petey can't he can barely play G C right. and D <laughs> so I'm not gonna do that right. you know we're not doing that we don't have the muscle to experience that kind of music right now mm -hmm. however there's some other ways that we can bring diversity to the table mm -hmm. but this but but this guy Marty really speaks to what I subscribe to, which is proximity. Mm -hmm. Unity through proximity and place. And when he says relational unity, and he has a term for it, I think he actually calls it, um, let me tell you what he calls it. He actually calls it um, racialized ritual inclusion. Um, so the inclusive and the inclusive nature of all natures, um, of sorry, of all races um, in in collaboration, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in relationship yeah. with each other. Now, I'll be honest, in the same spaces as a black worship leader, if I've had situations where I've had a white pastor and we have no relationship. Mm. And to me as a worship pastor, a black worship pastor with a white pastor, how in the world are we going to foster diversity if there's no relationship on that level? Right let alone how are we going to foster any kind of cohesive, multi-ethnic, communal worship experience if the worship team is not relational and diverse at the same time. Right. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so I, I agree with what he's saying. Now, what I don't, what I don't agree with what he's saying is he was saying, he said, in, he said, he said, he's, what he found and he studied over God knows how many churches, mm -hmm. but he said, that the music doesn't diversify the church. Mm -hmm. The quality or the style is the relationship. Give me some quality. <laughs> I look, I don't want no church with bad quality of music. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, church. Mm -hmm. I, I know y'all doing the best you can. <laughs> I know all you got is Lil Petey to play the, to play the piano. <laughs> but listen to me, I don't want to be in no church that's got bad quality music. I do respect though that when churches are trying to have diverse expressions of worship that they do the best they can mm -hmm. with what they have and i think most churches can accomplish that to some degree yeah. any other thoughts on that jay no i mean I, I think those are powerful quotes just about the the collaboration that's how conversations happen <laughs> you know if there's if there aren't conversations happening you don't know that there's an issue or that you know, maybe we should do more diverse music. So, yeah, it's that's important. I got to say this just because this is my story. And I just <laughs> want to make sure we understand this in, on this podcast. Mm -hmm. Stop hiring black worship leaders because <laughs> you won't sow. 
and stop hiring people of color to lead worship at your church if you don't intend to have a framework for multi-ethnic relational capacity within the entirety of the church. That's it. That's it. Please. That's it. And we, because it's hurting the witness of the multi-ethnic church. And I'll be honest with you, because I'm going to close on this, because um, I feel like it used to be weekly. Now it's more so monthly. Mm -hmm. I'm counseling black worship leaders who lead in majority white churches who are a placeholder for this proposed diversity yet there's no relationship component to it and there's no say so in regards to what they bring to the table it's like you said do what i say sing as Mm -hmm. i say and that's a real thing which is called a puppet it's called a puppet (laughs) at that point it's It's called some other stuff but we're gonna I don't want to mess up, you know, our trend, any kind of trending we may have on the podcast. But, you know, but these guys, but these guys and girls Mm -hmm. are in pain and they're hurting. To be honest with you, this was part of the reason why we started the podcast to give voice to minority voices who feel called to multi-ethnic spaces. Mm -hmm. But they are literally hurting and burning on the inside simply because they're put up on a platform to perform and they have no say so in what they bring to the table. Mm-hmm. That's not diversity or multi-ethnic. That's mono-ethnic with black folk yeah. leading the charge. Yeah. Oh, how long have we been talking? <laughs> a minute, a minute. We we've been keep talking. going too. Yeah, yeah, yeah we've we gone and I'm I'm a close, I'm gonna end there. I, we, got, we gotta come back and do something else with this yeah. because I have some more to say on this topic, but I wanna encourage y'all to, what what one? Thank you, Jackie. Yeah, my come pleasure. on, Jackie's in the house. My pleasure. <laughs> I'm honored. I'm honored. <laughs> my girl, this is what we do though. Yeah. It was something happened, like something hit the media. I called Jackie immediately. <laughs> girl, can you believe so and so? Or 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 <laughs> I do this too. Mm. Or I see this like church that I know ain't caring about diversity. <laughs> they hire like this black worship leader, and I'm like. I'm calling them today. Yeah, I'm, ca- yeah. I'm gonna talk to them. I'm talking to him and I'm talking to them. Yeah. And so we 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 talk like this. So yeah. I'm glad we were able to do it for everyone else to witness and experience on the podcast. So thank you, Jackie. Uh, a couple things, Jackie, is we've done we've done records with Renew Collective, mm-hmm. but you got your own music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My favorite song called Kingdom. <laughs> Is out right now. You got a whole bunch of streams on that one on YouTube yes. and Spotify and everything. Kingdom. Yeah. And so you can find that anywhere. Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube. Watch the video. The video's off the charts. Jackie's one of the dopest singer-songwriters, dopest voices that I know. And I'm just blessed to know you, blessed Thank to you. know what God's doing in your music. And you need to keep writing the music, yeah, get them the songs off the hard drive. Look, yes, this inspired me today. I know, I know we're having a conversation, but seriously, as you said, we're not coming here as like with all the answers. We're, we're guilty of many of the things we just discussed. You know what I'm saying? But the conversation is important. Like, how else do you solve things if That's you don't right. talk about it? You know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, honored to be here. Really excited about what God is doing through you in this podcast. You know, I, I believe it's just gonna reach and have a great impact because nobody's talking about this stuff. Come so. on, sister. Yeah. Where can we find you online on Instagram and all that kind of stuff? You find me, you find Jackie. But Jacqueline Owens <laughs> yeah, on Instagram. Yeah, Jacqueline Owens uh, underscore on Instagram. Jacqueline Owens eleven on Facebook and 
yeah, music is on Spotify, YouTube, ev- everywhere you listen to music. So. Let's go. Look, I thank y'all for rocking with the Gospel and Race podcast. We've wrapped up this mm-hmm. conversation on worship, and I just want to make sure you subscribe, you follow, rock with us on Instagram, follow us on, uh, be, subscribe to us on YouTube. Let's continue pushing this forward and share this with any worship leader or pastor anyone you know is trying to lean into the multi-ethnic space i believe we have some stuff that can help them all right all right y'all peace